We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 244 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton. I'm again joined by Francesc Tomas, Barca columnist featured on ESPN and BarcaBlog.com creator. And Frances, you did not want to record this. I did not want to record this. <laughs> and luckily for us, La Ronda questions have been delivered to help us through it. Hola, cules. Um, yeah, um, I don't normally make any excuses about the podcast because I think that it is important that we are here when things are lovely and pink and fluffy but also when things turn ugly so no we've we've got to get through this uh, i think it's going to be a little bit of therapy for you and i for sure and hopefully some of our listeners so let's let's get for it yeah for sure i went through the gambit of emotions over the last uh, few days for those who listened two days ago to the youtube match review i really went in on the we'll say the negativity that comes from, from, from matches like that for the one against PSG and how it's never just about that match. Losing 4-1 to PSG is one thing in the first leg of the Champions League in, in March, I mean in February rather, but the bigger picture was how I felt like there were so many Kool-Aids who were self-grandulating the fact that they knew that Barca had problems, that they're the ones who figured out that Coleman can't be trusted and you have to throw out all the players in the club and things don't work anymore and there's almost a desire to for those Kool-Aids who revel in in the negativity, my initial thoughts here is that we're all a bit frustrated and we're all trying to figure it out. And I just would want to know for you, Frances, what were your initial thoughts from the match? And I mean, we're going to get into all the, the, the details and nuance. So not necessarily any individual player, or even Coleman himself. But yeah, I mean, what were your initial thoughts, just your feelings in, in response to what you had just seen? Okay, so my initial thoughts were very clear that we knew this could happen. Um, I don't think this caught any of us um, as a huge surprise. I think that the severity of the result probably is, but I think that as we said in the podcast that we recorded like three or four days ago now, uh, we're recording a lot of podcasts these days. Um, <laughs> it is that they they are superior. PSG is a better football team. Uh, it's a better football team that is run better as a club that has got a lot more financial muscle than us um also a team that is run by a manager obviously they changed the manager recently but Pochettino knows what he's doing um obviously he joined the club not in the re in recent weeks even i think it's like a month and a half ago so the players are still in that sort of 
honeymoon period trying to impress the new manager um obviously someone who was very successful at tottenham who i don't know if we've got any tottenham listeners but they're not the biggest club in the world uh with the biggest resources either so you you put everything together the fact that you know psg are much more physical than ours the fact that we've got a lot of players that for many years now and th this is the world many uh 2015 is the last time we won in the champions league and it's the last time we actually went and had a significant run because ever since we've been falling and falling and falling again and pretty much being humbled every single time. So it is surprising of the severity of it. I am surprised that Barca didn't really compete, especially seeing what we saw from them in the last two, three, well, seven, six, six seven weeks sort of thing. And uh, I think that the, the players would have been disappointed to have failed themselves in that respect. But Overall, I'm not surprised that we lost. I'm just surprised of the fact that we just didn't show up. Well, Ellie asked, and again, it seems like all the ideas, I'm interested to see where we're exactly going to go with this. I have a rundown, but I think that might just be thrown out with our conversation. Because Ellie asked, what went wrong in the PSG game? Is it the players, the coach, the tactics, or a culmination of all above? And this question, unfortunately, does umbrella, you know, 40 other questions that we got. And then Ellie finally asked, is it simply that the team is not good enough? And where I landed, having watched it once and then putting myself through it in a, a little bit of a rewatch, at least I, I did watch the first half again. Uh, I know the second half is where everything went wrong, but I did watch the, the first half again. And my answer is that the tactics were actually fine. The first 30 minutes of this match happened the way it did because Coleman actually got it right. I thought Mbappe between uh, PK trying to play that high line, between Dest doing well enough one-on-one, -on -one, and they actually did have some pretty good shape cutting out those counterattacks for the first 30 minutes. So I thought the tactics were right. And then things went completely off the rails because the team isn't good enough. So I think where I land on that is that the team isn't good enough. And I thought that the selection for the starting 11 was probably correct. But what changes were made prior to PSG kind of figuring out once they scored their goal, hey, we can just run at them and we can just have a go and we're a better team than them. And once that moment happened, when they got, as Mike Tyson said, everybody had a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And Barca and Coleman had a plan until they got punched in the mouth. And then it didn't matter that they went to halftime. That discussion didn't matter. And it didn't matter, certainly, in the second half. Uh, yeah, the subs came on late. But, you know, the personnel that was in the first half that seemed to follow the game plan, whether it was legs, whether it's age, whether it's just things kind of breaking down, to me it felt like, it was between the ears. It felt like mentally the team broke down more than it did even physically, even though there were some physical things that, you know, we'll get into Busquets. I don't, I, I basically don't want you to say Busquets because that's the next, he's in the next topic we're going to talk about. So Frances, uh, I would throw to you the same question. Is it that the team isn't good enough or did you actually find something incredibly wrong with the tactics to start? Um, it is that the other team were better than us. Um, and it is that, as I said before, that our team just went faithful to what they have been doing this year. Um, I think that, as you have already said as well, mentally the team is not ready. I think that it is time for the new generation to come through. Uh, it is time for the new generation to be given the the engine of the team, to be honest, because um, it is clear that if you go Busquets, Piquet, Alba and even Messi, to be honest, um, failing at the same hurdle for six years consecutively, then it is fairly clear that unless you change those uh, those players, to be honest, um, we're not really going to make much progress because um, everything around them has changed. You know, you've got the young coming on, playing playing 
it's hard to say after after that result. But you know, being a box to box midfielder, uh, as he has been showing this year, you got Serginho there, so obviously coming back from injury, which you know it, it's unfortunate that it coincided, but it did. Um, Piquet haven't played for several weeks as well. Um, obviously, not not fully fit or not as fit as the game required. Overall, the team. It's not necessarily pinpointing, but even the youngsters, they're not as fit as they should be uh, to compete at this level. And I think that in a way is whether the Kules are still living in the past. I think that the decline of the team has been alarming, but also progressive over the years. I think that Messi's greatness has hidden a lot of the a lot of the really terrible decisions that have been made in terms of staffing, in terms of player recruitment, in terms of player retention as well. And uh, the, the moment that Messi has declined a little bit more, uh, which I'm not saying that he's declined this season, but clearly in this game, he just didn't really do much at all. Um, if you compare it to the games over the weekend, to be honest, which has to be a mental thing, then if Messi that is not the spectacular Messi that he has been for 15 years, then everything else shows up. And what is behind Messi is just not good enough to compete at the highest level in Europe. I mean, what I'm noticing as we're going to get into this discussion, I think this is our biggest discussion of the day. It's about, I just have written here, old guard. And that's what we're, I think, to, to speak about. Because when things like this happen, certainly over the last few seasons, you pinpoint certain players. And we, we've known now for four, three, four years, Alba's usually a name that's brought up as being an issue to Barcelona conceding and falling apart in these big moments. Not all on him. He plays left back, which is one of, you know, at least in Barca's system, unlike in modern football, where the outs, the wingbacks rather in Pep Guardiola's system at Man City are vital to any positive result. You you can't really throw the wingbacks or the fullbacks rather uh, as the player who's caused defeat. Surely, surely not unless they have an individual mistake, which uh, Jordi Alba wasn't necessarily on his own the reason why any of those goals were scored. But the old guard is certainly what we're talking about because whether it was Rakitic, Paulinho, whether it was Vidal, Luis Suarez, there was always some reason. There was always some reason why Barca were too old and, and couldn't figure it out. And it seems like every season you lose one or two of those players and then it's rinse and repeat come the Champions League when there's a blowout. And so the old guard we're speaking about now where I also consider that the socios seem to be much more attached, obviously, to Busquets and Piquet and Alba for being from the academy. So I, I think there's definitely a delineation between what we're seeing where, I mean, how many comments, how many tweets, how many everything have I seen from uh, particularly younger? I mean, that's basically anybody under the age of 35 saying, get Busquets out of this club, get Piquet out of this club, get Alba out of this club not really Messi. You just, you hear that Messi is Messi. So you, I mean, I think Messi always gets a pass in that regard, but they want the rest of them just, just out, give him to the, kick him to the door. And I don't know. This is the one I thought about. I've thought about so many times. I have things written and I can't even trust what I have written in that. I mean, the feeling is that there should be a way to get as much as you can out of these players as they near the end of their careers. But there's also the idea that moving forward this team cannot continue on in this way with that set of players as the core that they've proven time and time again now over the fast last few seasons that it doesn't work and, and no matter what i say it's going to sound like a defense but i do want to start with busquets in particular here that busquets was left to, to dry on the press on that first goal and that has been a problem that we have seen for three seasons in a row you saw him 
maybe it wasn't the first goal, maybe it was the second goal even. They're, they're blending together, there's too many of them. You saw him react when he realized that no one was with him when they were supposed to be on and stepping up to pressure, and that's what led to the goal. Immediately, you saw him respond when he looked over his right shoulder and he thought the young was with him, and he wasn't. And then to the left, when he, went, when he went to spin around, he realized that Pedri was about 10 to 15 yards to the, to the wing, as in near the sideline, more than he needed to be. So there, as I've been talking about now for two or three weeks now, about that rest defense, where Barca had possession of the ball, and I believe it was Griezmann and that moment who had given it away, and then all of a sudden PSG, not that they were breaking, but Barcelona had an opportunity to press, and they didn't. And it's not only that Busquets is too slow to cut out counterattacks, because in that moment, if you had a player who was better at cutting out counterattacks and could actually move 60 yards in a reasonable amount of time, you know, it, it would. It could also be a team that isn't built to handle those counterattacks as well. So not to give him some kind of out here, but the team isn't built to handle those. And and you have Busquets in a player that is surely not built to built to deal with counterattacks. And so I, I was thinking to myself, is Busquets the problem, or is the way that Barca are still built to play is that the problem? And I think either way, both answers involve Busquets not being part of the solution, right? Whether he's the problem or the team isn't built for. Uh, for to to play that way is the problem. It doesn't matter. Busquets isn't necessarily the player uh, in in either of those scenarios anymore. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen, or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol, or PK and Mascherano, or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Yeah, um, as you know, I'm not on Twitter and I don't really read all the negativity and all of that because it just doesn't help me in any way, shape or form. Um, So I obviously respect and understand what people must be saying. Um, I'm going to flip all that. It's not Busquets' fault that he's playing, is it? 
it's not his fault that he's playing. It's not Piquet's fault that after you know being being away for several weeks, he comes back and just plays against PSG, who are one of the most physical teams in in European football. It's not Jordi Alba's fault that he's still playing every single game, every single time, because there's no replacement. It's not these players' fault. Okay, so the, the reason why they are playing is because the replacement is Pjanic for Busquets, who has been awful this season and hasn't been given a chance because the manager trusts Busquets more. Piquet, there's no replacement for him, really. Um, we've been looking at Lengle, Umtiti and Mingueza, who was in the B team 10 weeks ago. So there's no replacement for him. And Jordi Alba, don't even get me started on Junior Firpo. So really, there's no replacement. So as much as people must be angry or can be angry about different players, then you need to know what reality is. And reality is there is nobody better in the, in the squad right now to play. And even if there is someone better, you, you can argue like Araujo potentially and whatever, that's not who the manager is trusting. So it's not the players themselves that are to blame for being chosen to play. It is whoever chose them and whoever built the squad to basically, they're not having any reliable replacements. Now, if you want me to talk about the players themselves, well, Piquet just came back from injury. Um, he clearly, he was really geared up for the game. Um, he was shouting at everyone the whole time, trying yeah. to get them organized, trying to get them into positions, which is what he should do. But unfortunately, he doesn't have the legs anymore. I mean, given his age and obviously given the fact that he was just recovering from injury or just recovered, there's two different two different ways of looking at that. Um, it's doubtful which one it was, but um, his legs weren't there. His physicality isn't there. And obviously after years of losing at the same in the same way and, and falling on the same hurdle in the same competition, then mentally he wasn't fit either. I don't think, I think that applies to Busquets, that applies to Jordi Alba as well. Now, as for, I'm leaving Busquets to the end. Mm -hmm. So Jordi Alba, he's our best left back, he's irreplaceable, he's got no replacement and uh, that's what it is. And to be honest, he's been fairly good this season in comparative to, to previous seasons. So I think that with Jordi Alba, I think it's fully mental. I think that obviously it is physical as well because PSG overall, I would say every player at PSG was fitter from a physical and mental perspective than every player in the Barca team. Probably take away Ter Stegen, um, who was the best player in the in the whole game, in my opinion, apart from Mbappe and Verratti, to be honest. But from our side, for sure, um, Ter Stegen was the best player. It could have been one seven or one eight if he wasn't there. Unfortunately, we've seen eight goals being put, put past him. Not that, um, you know, in the recent past as well. It was in the, the previous Champions League um, knockout game that we faced. And uh, he should be someone who is kept in the squad, who is nurturing the new talent coming through. Uh, I think that Busquets should be someone who is there as a support, who is, some, who is someone who could come in the last 20, 30 minutes, like Xavi did in his last season, to be honest, and even Iniesta at some stage as well. Even though Iniesta, arguably, he's, he had more minutes in his last season. But I think that he should be someone building the bridge for the new generation coming through. But there literally is no one coming through in his position. And there is no solution. There is no alternative. Uh, we just blew out 80 million euros on Pjanic. And uh, we gave away Arthur for the, or the other 70. And that, that was done, as we explained in the podcast a million times already, that was done to um, quadrar los numeros, to make sure the numbers were, were economically viable for the club to survive. And um, there is no money to make any signings, uh, any money that the, the club may produce or may somehow get from transferring your junior Firpos and maybe your Griezmanns and Dembele's out. Who knows what's going to happen once 
it's going to be Laporta, isn't it? Once Laporta becomes president, um, I've got no idea. But I would say any funds that go on Barca's way, plus any funds that they may find somewhere, which is probably going to be next to nothing, should be spent on a proper centre forward. So mm -hmm. I would say I would say that um, from the centre back positions, you've got no other option than to trust. Hopefully, get Eddie Garcia. Hopefully, um, on a, on a free if he decides to choose us. Um, because obviously the transfer window in the in the in the winter is gone, so you can get Eric Garcia, you've got Araujo, you've got Mingueza, you've got um, Serginho Dest on the right, and then maybe you put Alejandro Valde on the left. Because um, I would say that Junior Firpo has to go because he still has some value, and someone will buy him for say 20 million euros sort of thing, yeah. and that money is necessary to invest up front. Then you just have to either get Miranda back somehow. I've got no idea. Uh, I'm not a yeah. technical director at Barca, but I would say that any investment has to go to that center forward. That is the one that ultimately should win you games. Uh, and that's that's where we are. So should we get, and, and the, the other point, Busquets, Alba um, and Piquet have got incredibly lucrative uh, contracts that are not running out just yet. So to get rid of them, like people seem to be saying, you need to get them to agree to it. And uh, I don't want to say if it was me, but if it was me and I have got that contract and I've got no one, no one offering me that money anywhere else, I may choose to stay. I'm not saying I would, but I would definitely understand why players who clearly cannot compete at the highest level, but are being paid like world-class superstars may decide to not go. Um, Piquet did say after the Bayern Munich debacle, um, again, not that long ago in the previous season that um, he's happy to step aside. Well, we'll see, we'll see what happens. But to be honest, I think that it's not their fault that they are declining and i mean everyone does it's part of life i think that it is bad management from the very top to not reinforcing the squad so that these players don't have to be key players at barca anymore because i think that if you put pk in for 20 minutes or you put busquets in for 20 minutes and you're the other for half an hour then they still value players but um obviously they cannot be the ones carrying the button time and time again i mean what was the sentence i think delusion the definition of delusion is to try the same thing and expect a different outcome. It's something along those lines. Yeah, the definition of insanity. Yeah, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing without changing it, yeah. There we go, that's yep. it. Someone clever in the podcast at last. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not me. But um, as, as I'm saying, you've got the same core players going forward and not game, basically it's mashing against the wall every single season and you know it needs to change. But then again, how you change it, it would be a very simple solution if we had a club that was organized properly and in which money hadn't been blown out. but we don't. So what happens next is, uh, is a mystery. Yeah, I agree with a lot of those different points there. I mean, what would have happened if Barcelona had a player to play 60 minutes and then get replaced by Busquets to finish off an opponent? I mean, Busquets, I think, is still a prime example of how to control the pace of a game. And as I spoke about, he did that for the first 30 minutes. I also thought about the first 30 minutes of the game that Frankie Young was the best midfielder on the field. And then after that, I think there was a tackle by guy from behind. And then from that moment on, it wasn't the same. Where he when he was taken down to and he earned the penalty kick, it wasn't the same after that. And then Verratti was this, you know. Actually, it's, it's funny. I was looking back. Our very first show ever, the Barcelona podcast episode one, we talked about Verratti coming to Barcelona, and then that never happened. So interesting to note there. But on the point of Busquets, I, I know you don't get many points for saying I don't know, but I watch every single game at, with at least one eye on tactics and what's happening. And when I watch other matches, I think about it almost through the lens of 
how Barca play than how when I watch other teams play. So like Sevilla, Borussia Dortmund, I wondered how Barca would have done in that match because it, it was certainly a really interesting one with two styles completely different than the way Barca does it. Now, I wondered why was Busquets done when the team started with a 4-2-3-1. So at the beginning of this year, uh, within a month in, because Rakitic is gone to to yell about, because Vidal was gone to yell about, obviously the the, the ire doesn't go on the younger players, it goes on Busquets. So the the team started with a 4-2-3-1, and everyone said, hey, he doesn't fit here, he's done, he's over the hill, it's over. Then he started playing better with the switch to the 4-3-3. And looking at almost every other team, and... You know, bringing up another point here is that I saw a lot of people that I might follow on social media who don't necessarily are vested in, in Barcelona, and they were being very, very critical of Frankie de Jong, who, as I said, I thought was good for 30 minutes, and then as the team fell off, he fell off as well. But looking at almost every other team, and I, I, I saw that by prestige, not by current winning pedigree, so by the, the name cachet that these players have, there are a lot of defensive midfielders that do more than Busquets's job has always been. So what I mean by that is... So many can do an imitation of the job he does. He does what he does better than any player in the world still to this day. He's still a legend of the game. He still revolutionized the defensive midfield position. But as I talk about with center backs playing out of the back, now for the last 10 years, everybody has tape of Guardiola's Barcelona. And everybody has tape of how to play a defensive midfield spot and try at least to give the instruction to do what Busquets does to the best of their ability and so there are a lot of players now in the world who can do so much of what he does and they're players at the highest level as well and they can yield similar results. Um, but they also do other things. And so this is why we saw on the other side, the, we'll say the two more defensive midfielders for PSG in Genagai and Paredes. So they help with buildup. They were playing balls out over the top and they were covering ground and they were doing impressions of Busquets, but they were also winning 50-50 balls in a way that Busquets doesn't do. They were also winning open field tackles, which is something Busquets used to do and can't really do so much anymore as his legs are, are, are leaving him. And while uh, Genagai doesn't necessarily, Paredes does try, there are other defensive midfielders in this world, like I can't believe I'm saying his name, but Casemiro. Casemiro has actually added goal scoring to his, to his repertoire. He is, yes, awful, and Casemiro is constantly fouling, and I would hate to see him on Barcelona, hate to see him on Barcelona, but I have to admit the fact that he is now a goal-scoring threat, and that has given Luka Modric and Tony Cruz, because they at least have some kind of goal-scoring threat from that midfield, and not putting the pressure on the other two to have to contribute in the way that De Jong has needed to contribute to goal-scoring, and there's always a threat somewhere between that midfield trio, as much as I, again, hate giving Real Madrid a compliment, but they, they built that experienced midfield, and as Modric has aged, Casemiro has complemented that aging. As Cruz is getting older, Casemiro has complemented that aging. Now, I think Real Madrid is going to have a problem in their future as well because they haven't rotated in and found successors to those jobs. They've actually had a lot of issues where Marcus Llorente was supposed to be that defensive midfielder, and then he's pushed up to the top uh, for Atletico Madrid in this forward wing position, and he winds up being a better player. So I actually do, looking across all of world football, I'm, I was trying to figure out who can possibly replace Busquets and do 80 to 90% of the job he does in Barca's system, and I actually don't really have a name for you. I, I'm looking all around, and I'm saying, well, most other We'll say, uh, again, it's not even a Regista. It's not even an Andre Pirlo style. It's Busquets does 
the things he does because he's built the way he is. He's long. He's rangy. He, he was used to be able to go sideline to sideline, and he can't really do that anymore. But I don't really have that replacement. And so you can say get the veterans out, but I always ask who can replace them. And I don't just mean like for like. I mean who can actually replace them in modern football, in the way that tactics are changing, in the way that the, the, the world is changing. And so you cannot and Barcelona cannot continue to play the way that they had so much success 10 years ago because... And we're going to talk about Xavi and Iniesta. We actually have a question at the end about Xavi. But not only can you not play that way because you don't have two of the top 10 greatest midfielders in the world, obviously, it's impossible to replace Xavi and Iniesta. It's never going to happen. It's just the talent is just too high. The talent threshold is just too high. But playing that, but playing that as, as we've now seen it be adopted to being the Gegen Press, which is now a successor of Pep Guardiola's high press system and tactics, right? So now Liverpool and Bayern Munich they took so many of their ideas, and it's no surprise that Pep went to Bayern Munich in the middle of last decade. They've taken their tactics and their ideas, and they've evolved what Barca used to do. So now what Barca has to do is they have to dig deep, because going back to the 80s, going back to uh, Kubala, as, as the game changes, yes, there's a Barca way. But is the Barca way, Frances, merely players that understand positional play? and have a superior technical ability as their opponent and want to play for Barcelona? Is, is, are we now speaking that, I know it's, it's hearsay here, but is, is the Barca way merely really, really wanting to play for Barcelona and being enjoyable to watch? Is it anything more than just those two things? It is loving the crest. It is understanding that you represent not just a football team, but the people around it. And it is doing everything you can to succeed, but to succeed the right way. Um, obviously, after being thrashed out of the Champions League for so many years, it's, it probably seems silly to say, but um, you know, people may think, oh, he's just talking idealistic nonsense. But it is, it is what it is. I mean, I think the key difference between the successful Pep Guardiola years and now is not the aging players, it's the mentality. It is the winning mentality that those players had. Obviously, I think people forget as well that Barca were in a similar, I want to say, situation around the 2002, 2003 years. Yeah. Um, we haven't won anything much for far too long, to be honest. We had some good players. I think Rivaldo was pretty good at the time. You had some people like Goku who could hold the team. Um, you had Fran de Boer, who arguably was pretty good too in his position, but it was a little of a mismatch, um, you know, but through those years, Puyol, Xavi, um, a little bit later, Iniesta got promoted. You had players coming through. Uh, obviously, you got Ansu Fati, who is injured, and we've obviously missed him. But you got Pedri here. You got Frankie the Young, who's still still a youngster. Obviously, um, he's been around for a while, but you know he's he's still a youngster. You've got um, Serginho Des, who could be very valid for the future. Araujo. Um, let's put Mingueza in there just to be a bit generous. But you know what I mean. So th there is there's always a silver lining, you know, and I think that. The, the years of going to Champions League and crashing out early, I've seen so many of those. Uh, I think that people that started watching Barca in the last probably 10 years haven't. Um, unfortunately, they have in the last five. But um, Barca have not always been a force to be reckoned with in Europe. And I have seen that throughout the years. Um, I have seen Barca playing against teams like, I don't know, Manchester United, even Bayern Munich and even Real Madrid, to be honest. And knowing that, yeah, we're probably going to lose here, uh, which I said in the last podcast, I didn't think Barca would win. And there you go. There you have it. Um, I would have loved to say I didn't tell you so, but I sort of did tell you so. Um, I would have loved to be wrong in that prediction. But it is 
it clearly, I've been saying this a million times, but it is a transition season. I mean, Laporta was saying yesterday, Barca shouldn't have any transition seasons. And I agree with him, we shouldn't, but we do. And this, this is what reality is. It doesn't matter how many times people try to dress it up. It doesn't matter how many times people try and look back and, you know, look at the Tito Villanova 100 points Liga DVD with, you know, stars in the eyes like that emoji that people keep sharing all the time. Um, that's not going to bring success now. What's going to bring success now is good forward thinking, great planning. Um, obviously, from the economic perspective, we are pretty much done. We are severely damaged. This is not a situation that we had back in 2003, to be honest, because the economics of the club were not in the terrible situation that they are now. We could actually sign players. Um, for example, Rivaldo, uh, both from Deportivo La Coruña for, I think it was 40 million 40 million pesetas, I can't remember, I'm making that up. But anyway, uh, we don't have even the money to sign, uh, signing like, for example, Haaland or possibly Mbappé himself or one of these great superstars that could turn the tide like Ronaldinho did back in the day. Uh, we just don't have that money unless we sell some of our players, which unfortunately they are losing value day by day. So it is a situation that I think goes beyond the sporting and go beyond the institutional and, and pass it through the economics. So the, the club is in tatters, basically. We don't even have a president as, as, as we are talking. We have to wait another month um, because of people's inefficiency. Obviously, Car Carlos Tusquets um, wanted to be a protagonist for far longer than he needed to be. We could have had a new president in place uh, from the end of December, arguably. Uh, then they waited and here we are three months later still waiting. Um, a lot of work would have been done to prepare the next season. Um, obviously, we still have Kuman as a coach. Then whoever comes is going to do what with Kuman, you know? Um, do we trust him because he's you know, growing players like Pedri, Ansu Fati, etc., and giving them uh, giving them a chance, or do we have to go and find find someone else? If we find someone else, what do we do with Kuman? Do we pay him again? Do we pay him off like we pay yeah. everybody off? And then we got um, whoever comes in coach hashtag out within three minutes it's not it's not reasonable this is not how you run any business this is not how you run an institution and this is certainly not how Barca should be run and the sources have got a very important decision uh, come March the 7th um, and hopefully you can actually go ahead on that day and then see what happens uh, but at the moment it's very hard to be optimistic and, and the thing is I know I'm probably ranting a little bit but the I want to give the other the other side as well like we are a team that is growing over the last six weeks. Take away this game and the Sevilla game. We are a team that clearly cannot compete at the highest level. We've lost to Juventus this year. We lost to Madrid this year. We lost to PSG this year in the Camp Nou. And they've scored three, three and four goals, um, respectively, as I just said. Uh, we went to play against Sevilla in the Cup semifinals. We were nowhere near the level. So let's accept where we are. We are a team that is developing. We are a team that should be giving the youngsters a lot of time so that eventually, not just gain value, but they can be of value for us. Nothing about selling anyone. I'm thinking about the team growing in, in, in experience, growing in minutes, growing in skill, growing in confidence. And we saw that, but against the higher the higher ability, you know, the, the, the greatest teams in, in, in the world, we are just not at a level that we can compete. And you always have that. Um, illusion. You always have that aspiration. You always have that hope that that we could go and compete and beat these teams. But obviously, the last five years show us that we just cannot. And I think that, as as the Catalan radio was saying just yesterday, um, football is putting us where we belong. This is not a 
Busquets hashtag out. This is not a sell Alba. This is football is telling us that this team with these players in this moment in time, in this institution, with the economy that we have run by the people that it is run from uh, board and obviously sporting level, because you can't take Kuman away from this in any way, shape or form either. But this club today is not able to compete at the highest level. And Roma told us, Liverpool told us, Bayern Munich told us, PSG have told us again, I think it's about time we listen. But then again, even if we are listening, what do we do about it? We no money. So it's quite a situation then. Well, yeah, it's a matter of, so yeah, what do we do when we listen? And I think people are listening in that everybody is frustrated. And yeah, there's there's emotional reactions to every match. But certainly I think there's now a nihilism that has begun in Kool-Aid. And, you know, it's this weird thing about hope. Emily Dickinson always says hope is a thing with feathers. And it's interesting to me even doing the research about the last, you know, from 1899 on that you wonder for as successful as a team as FC Barcelona I do find about what Akule's, both in Catalonia and not, and internationally, what their identity is, historically and presently. And this idea of losing, that Barcelona are always, and always have been, and when you look back about accounts from people who went to the Camp Nou, especially from the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s in particular, before, again, Kubala uh, and the Camp Nou was built, and then Kubala starts winning and, and the, the team of the Five Cups, that there certainly is something about uh, I, how do I say this? A big club that whose 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 fans almost feel as if losing is always possible. And I think you look at the history of the club, and I hope that there for me it almost feels like a connection to people who again were just living in Catalonia back in the 30s and 40s. When you look at it, um, yesterday it was the 82nd anniversary yesterday, or rather two days ago, February the 16th, 1939, when the Catalan language was banned in Catalonia. Catalan uh, books were burned and the the language was, they did everything they could to eradicate it from every corner of public life, uh, as well as taking the Senior off the crest of FC Barcelona, right? And so while now internationally, obviously, and even in Barcelona, you know, in 2021 in Catalonia, again, this isn't necessarily about the politics of it, but we understand the politics of what it was in the past when the identity of, of Barcelona, when its Catalan identity was almost stripped from what it was. And so you had so many different matches. And I think back as well to the 11-1 that happened in, I believe, the early 40s, 1942, or 41 or 42, 43, whenever that was. That 11-1 in the Copa del Rey, when on the second leg, there were these questions being asked, hey, Barcelona were good enough to not I mean, they had the lead. They had they had the in in the tie. I think it was three nothing or something the previous leg. So why did this team fall apart in this way? And now there are certainly being questions asked to this very day about that moment. And so certainly there's nothing foul afoot like there might have been then in in the modern game. But I think it's part of the uh, Kool-Aid identity to go, hey, this can be taken from us in a moment. And I think that's what we're now feeling. It's, again, very different because the stakes of our lives watching a football match are much different than the stakes of those who had their complete Catalan identity stripped from them all this all this time ago. And so, I, I mean, Francesca, I know that's such a big idea to respond to, so I'm not actually going to ask you to respond to that. On time, I do want to answer some of the questions. I do want to answer some listener questions. So I'm going to give you a much, much easier one. I just want to give some of our listeners some food for thought. I just want to let them know what I've been thinking about. So not really, I don't, it might not be helpful to anyone, but that's what I've been thinking about, <laughs> what I've been considering about when I think about the club as a whole, um, just bigger picture ideas. So we're going to talk quickly to end the show. I have one more about Xavi at the very end, but I want to speak now about the expectations the rest of the way. Richard asked, if this tie is now out of our hands, so uh, there was also a joke that was, 
so right, R Ramon asks pros and cons of, a, of another Romantada. Well, I think the con is hoping to see one. Uh, the pro is obviously that Barcelona would uh, would go down in history again, but we saw in 2017 that history doesn't matter too much. But anyway, Richard asks, if this tie is now out of our hands and the Copa del Rey seemingly is too, what's the best we can realistically expect out of this season? And he, he questions, is it just Champions League qualification and trying the best that they can to find a way to keep Messi? I mean, that might even seem ambitious, as Richard does point out. So yes, at this stage, keeping Messi seems ambitious. I think it's been ambitious since the summer, but is Champions League the only expectation to be had this season? Okay, um, I think that the question is flawed in a way. Um, I think that the, the these last match to me changes nothing. Yeah. Um, I think that we both have been speaking about it for the whole year. Uh, I don't expect Barca to win any title this season. I think that we don't have the squad. I don't think we've got the players and I don't think the players that we have are mentally ready to be a challenger for anything. Um, I don't think that changes it. So obviously the severity of this loss to, to me was surprising. Uh, I didn't expect us to win, but I didn't expect us to lose in the way that we did. Uh, basically not fighting, not showing up, just, just I'm going to say no pride, no, no pride for the badge, you know, because that's, that's how it looked like to me. Um, so the expectation for the season is what it was from the beginning. You just give as much time to the players that are going to be the future of Barca to grow. And that's, that has to be the expectation. If you want me to put a number, well, yeah, qualifying for the Champions League, given the economic, economic situation of the club, is a, is a must. You must qualify for the Champions League. Uh, we are currently second in La Liga. I don't think it makes much difference where you finish, but you know the, the target has to be finishing second. Um, to be honest, I was thinking about it before we came on air. Um, Barca weren't going to win the Champions League anyway. So for them to be knocked out in the first knockout round, like we probably... 100%, 99% were going to be knocked out of. That's probably a very, a very good thing because it gives the, the other players much more focus and rest and maybe continuity in La Liga. Um, obviously, we've got a manager who has been trusting the youngsters. Um, I don't know what he's going to do in La Liga if there's only one match per week, uh, but I think it is clear that players like Piqué, Alba, Busquets shouldn't really get as much playing time as they would have done if we were still in the Champions League. Um, and then Copa del Rey is very unlikely we'll make it through. I think, you know, we can pull a little miracle here and there, but um, we've crashed against high caliber teams at European level. And to be honest, I am including Sevilla on that, the same way that I'm including Atletico de Madrid on that and PSG and Bayern Munich, etc. So I think that it is unlikely we'll make it to the cup final. I think that it is virtually impossible for us to do anything else in the Champions League rather than embarrass ourselves in the next game, unfortunately. And in La Liga, we are second. Best hope is to stay second, but to be honest, if we finish third or fourth, to me, it matters nothing. What really matters is that Ansu Fati comes back fit and becomes confident and continues to grow, that Pe Pedri continues to get minutes, that uh, Des becomes, um, I would say, fully fit consistently and continues to grow, that Frankie de Jong is the midfield player in the middle that, that we are seeing, that Araujo comes back fit and continues to develop, that Mingueza, <laughs> I don't want to make a comparison here, but continues to be the the joker at the back, not as in the joke, but, you know, Comodin, you know, he's the, the one that you can put anywhere at the back. A little bit like Ulage used to do back in the day, um, not being spectacular, but being decent and being fit yeah. and putting across here and there. So there you go. That, that That's the target. And hopefully... Ricky Butch, I'm going to include him as well. Um, I don't think he should be a starter. We talked about it four days ago, but I think that he could be an impact player coming in without a shadow of a doubt. Um, 
and then maybe get Alejandro Valde some playing time on the left. Um, other than that, I, I don't know. I mean, with Griezmann and Dembélé, you just have to hope that they, to be honest, they've been better the last month. They've been better the last six weeks. Uh, so that they continue to develop in that way. And then once the new president, Laporta, comes, then he decides what to do with them. Are they worth keeping or should they just be sold? And I think that that is the only way with those two that we're going to make any profit. Coutinho, no one's going to want to buy. Certainly no one can afford his wages anyway. Jordi Alba, Pique, Busquets are unsellable. No one for a profit at least. Um, the most you can do with those is just stop paying their wages if they opt out to go. And then again, note, note the word opt out. They will have to be their choice to leave. They can't really be sacked unless you want to pay them the remaining of the contract, which they did with Luis Suarez last year anyway. So a lot of decisions for the next president, Laporta, to, to make when he gets to us. William asks, should we completely give up on the titles and just focus on youth? And I was speaking to one of the Patreons, Armando. As much as it seems like nothing is in play, Coleman's job as Ronald Coleman is still in play. So he has done a good job playing that youth. Um, I mean, plus, even though we can all admit that everything is over, La Liga is still mathematically possible. The Copa is only, I say only, a 3 nothing win away from being possible. And the Champions League has a return leg where, again, anything can happen. I'm putting up air quotes for those uh, just uh, listening. And so, I can see the air quotes. No one can that's listening to the podcast, <laughs> but I'd see them. Yeah, yeah. So, right. Anything is possible. And technically, Barcelona, in, on, on February the 18th, is still alive in all three competitions. But obviously, we know that all three of those are very, very, very unlikely. But Coma's job is still up for grabs. So he's going to continue to play the veterans. I, I think whether people want it or not, but the, the counter is that, that as you mentioned, you named a ton of young players. So Barca is playing young players, but I, I think for those who are looking for a silver lining, I can see that bench getting even younger come the end of April or the beginning of May when everything is actually impossible and Coleman's job is either safe or it isn't. And it's already been decided. I, and I, even by that point, the top of the top four in La Liga is going to have to be safe by that point for Barcelona to uh, or for Coleman to commit to getting even younger so from Barcelona B what I want to see tangibly I can say what I want to tangibly see I want to see Callado get at least two games by the end of the season just again get him up there in case he needs to be used or will, will be will he be utilized next year I want that answer to kind of be at least give him another shot with some two, two games or so at the end of the year as you mentioned Alejandro Balde I wanted him to at least He's still just 17, so I want to see him just get his debut. Just go on the field, get his debut at the Camp No. just like Ies Moriba. If he makes a gigantic mistake that causes the goal, that's fine. He's 17, and it doesn't really matter at this point in the season. And then I've mentioned Andre Oriana. As much as I say that I don't know who the Busquets replacement is, if you want a player that plays like Busquets, Andre Oriano is that game. Uh, is that player, so I would like to see him get a game or two as well, even though I do worry that his ceiling is not we'll say FC Barcelona Champions League contending when it's time to do that in four to five years again, or three to however long it takes, three to five years. Uh, I don't know if Hondo Oriana is necessarily the player with that high enough of a ceiling to be that starter, but certainly he's a player that can do a, a Busquets job if you've got to start to figure out what to tap, what comes after Busquets. And then uh, not to mention Conrad Inias Moriba, who already, are already around the first team, just them making three to five more appearances this season. I'd like to see them again as well. So I, I think to temper the expectations, it's uh, you will not see against Cadiz this weekend. 
I promise you will not see the midfield that people dream about because we also got a question from Thomas that I'm not going to really answer here and we can continue to think about. But should Frankie de Young be moved from his interior spot to the defensive midfield spot for the rest of the season and then starting no. Pedri Puj and de Young? Whether or not you want that to happen, it's not. It's just not going to happen. You you don't. You those things are changed in the off seasons or with new managers. Those are not changed with managers who are managing and fighting for their job in a yeah. season that you're already again still technically alive in all the competitions. Can I jump in on that one? Yeah, please. Um, no, no, that's that's nonsense. Uh, I think that Frankie de Jong is the player in the whole squad that has progressed the most this season from an attacking perspective. He's even scoring goals now. He's given an attacking threat that we haven't had. <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say this. But since Paulinho, right? We haven't had a threat coming from the midfield into the box like that since Paulinho did those crazy runs and no one really understood and then ended up the season with 10 goals. Um, so no, the young cannot, cannot play there uh, or shouldn't be moved to play there. Um, the same way that I saw some people as well in the group saying he should never have started as centre-back. The people are saying, oh, the young should have started as centre-back this game. No, he's, he's our best midfielder. He's our best midfielder. He's the one that can complement someone up front. So it's not his fault that we don't have enough players at the back. It's not his fault that Busquets is 33 and clearly out of form and still being played. It's not his fault. And, what he adds up front is much more valuable. And not what he adds, what he adds now and he, what he can potentially add in the future is much more valuable than covering up for Busquets for a season. So there's got to be other solutions, surely. Yeah. Okay. So final question here. I wish it was a easy, quick question. Uh, we'll try to do it as, as quick as we possibly can. Dirk asked, "This is, we haven't talked about Messi at all in this. So I think it's best instead of talking about Messi and having the same conversation about him leaving, him staying, as we did even a few days ago and after Sevilla and blah, 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 blah. I want to talk about Messi through the lens of Xavi because Dirk then asked the controversial question, is it time to recognize Xavi's role as a centerpiece to Barca's dominance between 2009 and 2015? And should we also recognize that we never adequately replaced Xavi in 2015? And I did mention that already that Obviously, Xavi and Iniesta were never going to be replaced because you can't replace top 10 midfielders ever. It has to be a one of one. Pedri has to be the first Pedri if he becomes that, that good to that level where he's this all-time midfielder. Same thing with De Young. He has to be one of one because those players are, are distinct. They change the, the entire game. They change the history of football by being as good as they were. But I think the big question becomes not necessarily is it that Xavi was the centerpiece, but is Messi... Or is Messi not the centerpiece that we always expect him to be? Is he merely the best player that Barca has ever had? The best player in the world, which we agree that he is. He's the best player ever to play. And he's the best player that Barcelona has ever had. But was Xavi more important to those teams in that dynasty? No. No, I think I think Messi is the one that made the biggest difference. So... And to be honest, I don't think it's about comparing successful players from a very successful era to other players in, the very, in a very successful era. This is a, a team sport. This is a collective. I mean, you can argue that Dani Alves was most important than all of them put together. You know, you can argue that Puyol was more important than all of them put together because whatever you do up front, I mean, that team used to lose a lot of balls, to be honest. They were so risky and they mm-hmm. were so sort of eager to push the boundaries up front that they needed that that cobertura at the back you know they needed a cover at the back and and what Puyol and Piquet young Piquet used to offer and you can argue Mascherano as well at times um Abidal from a defensive defensive perspective even Dani Alves from time to time no I don't think we should be 
speaking about what the Pep team was, but I, mean, I think it is it is very clear that Xavi was instrumental. That team wouldn't have never been anywhere near as dominant without Xavi. But the same for Iniesta, the same for Dani Alves, the same for Messi himself. So I don't even want to entertain the question because I think it doesn't help us now. I think that if, um, say, Xavi had been the youngest out of the whole generation, we probably would still have Xavi and Messi and all the others gone. So I, I, I don't... I don't see how that helps today, to be honest. I think that it's a conversation probably for the future. It's a conversation for a special yep. podcast, just as a, you know, look back at the Pep years and the impact after or whatever, whatever title we can come up with. But I think today we just have to accept that Messi was not good enough in the game against Bayern Munich, the games against, um, you know, PSG yesterday or the day before that. And that's what we need to discuss here. Why he didn't show up, why he didn't put up a fight where things turn a little bit ugly, why he couldn't carry the others forward. Um, all of those are the questions we need to be asking now. I think going back to 10, 12 years ago today, it's, it's probably not the time. Yeah, and we could have, speaking of time, we could be doing this show for hours and hours and hours. But uh, this is certainly... Even though there's a return leg, which is crazy to say, there's a still a return leg in the Copa del Rey. So while the results have pretty much been decided in all competitions, there are still many matches to play, many conversations to have. And a lot of the ideas and some of the, a lot of the questions we got in La Ronda that were, again, bigger picture ideas for the rest of the season and moving on in the, you know, we got a, we got a bunch of questions that said in the next three to five years. So <laughs> we will still be here for that. So if we're going to do, you know, if we're doing, we have been doing two shows a week. So I know people like the two shows a week. I might have to cut back to one show a week for the next few weeks. We'll see what happens. So we'll see how many shows you get, uh, how much Frances and I get. But I think we've given what we had to, again, just like for all of you, for us, this was this emotional release today. Uh, yeah, a little bit of therapy, I guess, for us, Frances. I, I don't know if we're feeling any better, but, you know, we're Kool-Aid, so it doesn't matter how we feel or how disappointed and low we get because there is always hope that there is going to be brighter days and that, you know, w win or lose, we, we love the club and that's never going to change yeah. for us. And uh, what it is clear is that I'm not going to go support PSG tomorrow morning. I'm not <laughs> going to go support Manchester City tomorrow morning. So, and I don't think anyone that is still listening, I don't know how long we've been on, probably 40, 50 minutes by now. Um, I don't think anyone listening is going to go follow Van Wagon somewhere else. So well done for sticking with us. Well done, <laughs> but most importantly, yeah. well done for supporting the team and obviously doing so for years to come. Like um, Real Betis people say, Viva el Metis, pan que pierda. It's long live Betis, even though we lose sometimes. So there you go. Let's just take that one for today. Yep, I agree. So I think that wraps it up. We thank you for the listener questions. Again, we only got to a small, small portion of them, uh, but there are things that we're going to be talking about for the rest of the season. So I, I guarantee that. So I want to thank you and all the listeners for tuning in to your app. You can check Check out the show notes to subscribe to the show. We're on social media. You know where we're at. Twitter at the Barcelona Pod, Hilton D13 for me. On Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. That closed Facebook group where we did get some of these LaRonda questions and many of the ones that we didn't answer. If you want to check those out, tvpod.link backslash group. Take your own crack at them, if you will. Deeper dives and discussions. Answer the questions. We'll let you in the group. Uh, we're also on Patreon, as you know, to continue to help us make these shows financially. tvpod.link backslash Patreon. And I also have conversations with you. I'm, I'm much more willing to respond to you on Patreon. Let's put it that way. And then we're also on YouTube at the Barcelona Podcast. There's a lot of specialty content. Subscription would be a big help in there as well. So we want to thank everyone for seeing us over on that channel. So thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And Forza Barca. Forza.
everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.